Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Good morning. Oh, it's lovely. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for a lovely introduction. I, I didn't know I was the first non-staff to come and preach. That's really exciting, and I'm really, really honoured. Um, yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, so, yeah, as David said, my name is Helen, and I'm a member of Christchurch Sutton. Um, and I, a little bit about me, I'm also a worshipper. I love sailing. I struggle sometimes with anger. Um, it's possible I'm addicted to coffee. Um, I love hot, sunny days and dark chocolate, not always at the same time. I'm married to the wonderful Shininga. Uh, and together, as David said, we run Big Kid Foundation, uh, which works to end youth violence in London. We have two comedic children, Layla, who is eight going on 18, and insisted that she didn't want to come today because she had to be with her friends in the Sutton service, so she's living her best life. <laughs> and Tammy, who is three, who is in, in your children's church this morning, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit about her in, in my sermon today. And, and that's me, and it's a real privilege and a pleasure to be with you this morning. A huge thank you to David for having me. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm genuinely honoured. So I, I don't, before I begin, I just wanted to say, I, th I think some of you may know a little bit about what we went through over the summer. Um, and for those who prayed, I just really want to say on behalf of my family, thank you so much. God is good and he hears and answers our prayers. And I'm, I'm really, really grateful for you. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we just thank you for this time this morning. Father, we welcome you into this place. Holy Spirit, come and make your presence felt among us. Holy Spirit, we are open for whatever you want to do in this room today. Father, we do not put you in a box. We do not tell you that you have to do it this way or that way at this time or that time. We are just open, Father, whatever you want to do. Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do, come and do it in here this morning. I pray that those who came in one way, that we will leave another way. We will leave changed and transformed, looking more like you, behaving more like you, with more of your anointing upon us, with more of your spirit upon us, with more of your guidance and clarity, Father, in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that every burden shall be lifted, every chain shall be broken this morning, Father. And I just, I partner with you, Holy Spirit, that we, we will, that you will move, Father, and that you will use me in any way that you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's dive right in. Um, I'm just going to do a brief recap. I don't know if you guys have been doing the I am sayings in the same order that we've been doing them. So I'm just going to roll with how we've been doing them. Um, and we've looked at I am the bread of life as Jesus, who is the one who satisfies our hunger and who provides for us daily and who is interested in our physical and our spiritual growth. We looked at Jesus as I says, I am the the light of the world, as the one who reveals the dark, hidden, hidden things and illuminates a path to freedom. We looked at I am the gate. He is the entrance to the pasture, as well as protection from the evil one. We've looked at I am the good shepherd, as our leader, 
our guide, our owner, one who cares for us and speaks to us. We've looked at I am the resurrection and the life, that Jesus is stronger than death, and we have hope beyond the grave. Amen. And today we're going to be looking at John chapter 14, verses 1 to 7, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. So let's read. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answers, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. We're so used to hearing the scripture in kind of everyday Christianity that I think we often forget just how controversial it is. Even today, in our world of fake news and atheism and hedonism, luxury gone mad and my truths, this is a still a pretty controversial statement. Sometimes I think that being one of Jesus' disciples must have been like hanging out with that family member who always says something inappropriate and embarrassing. You've all got one. I know you've got one. I have several. I might even be one myself. So look out. <laughs> but I always think hanging out with Jesus would just be like, oh my gosh, why is he saying that? Don't say that. Don't say. You know we could get stoned around here. But Jesus just goes right on. Because in telling these people that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one could get to God unless they came through him, he was basically blaspheming and turning on its head all that they had known up until this time. The way to God was originally in the Garden of Eden, but that gate got shut. Then it was through the Holy of Holies, the part of the sanctuary in the Temple of Jerusalem, where the Lord's tabernacle containing the commandments of given to Moses were kept. And not anyone could go in, only the priest could go in. And only once a year on the Day of Atonement, and there the Lord would meet with one person. And everyone else was separated from God. They couldn't access his presence, and they couldn't have that vital relationship with him. The truth was the Torah. The law, as written in the first books of the Bible, details on how to live your life. That was the truth. The life, well, there was the life that they lived, and that wasn't necessarily eternal. When they died, it was believed they went to paradise or to Abraham's bosom. Again, they were separated from God, separated from that precious relationship with God the Father that we were created to have. Actually, one of the definitions of death is separation. And there are different types of separation or different types of death. There is physical separation, which we're all going to experience one day when our spirit is going to be separated from our physical body. And then there's spiritual separation. Some of us used to experience this. Maybe you're experiencing this today. This is when your spirit is separated from God's spirit. You are a spiritual being. 
You were created by a spiritual God for relationship with him. We are simply not alive until we have been connected and reconciled back to God the Father. Then there is eternal separation. And I hope none of us today experience this. When your spirit is eternally separated from God's spirit because you didn't reconcile yourself in this life. And so you face the next life eternally separated from God the Father and the immense love that he has for you. Now stay with me. Jesus says, I am the way. He is saying, what is he saying? He's saying Jesus is our way back to God. The way back through the blocked gate of Eden to where man communed with God the Father and walked with him in the cool of the day. He is the truth. He is the embodiment of the word of God. In John chapter 1 verse 14, it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the life. He is the opposite of death, the opposite of separation. He is communion. He is relationship. He even says, if you know me, then you know the Father. In the same gospel, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Life in its fullness. This is the life Jesus was talking about when he said, I am the life. Hands down, there's no life that is more exciting, that is more satisfying and more unpredictable than the life of someone who is listening and obeying God's spirit on a moment-to-moment basis. And I know this because I've experienced it a little bit for myself. Jesus said, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So what's this room business all about? Well, what are rooms for? Rooms are spaces. They're spaces for relationships. We get to have relationship now, but greater revelation and intimacy and glory is coming. Jesus is like, I'm, I'm off to get your room ready so that when you get to where I am, we can hang out. But you see, Jesus isn't just the way to God and to the room and to that wonderful relationship after we leave here, but he is the way here and now to relationship with God the Father. Some of you here have dreams and goals. Some of your houses are too small. Some of your jobs don't pay you or delight you enough. Some of you have health niggles. Maybe you have health dramas. And you know God has a better life for you, but how do you get there? I know God loves me. I know he wants to bless me, but how do I access that? Well, I was there this summer, and this is what I was talking about when I talked about my daughter, Tammy. And some of you may know that over the summer, we went through quite a trial. Now, just a bit of background. Uh, my daughter, Tammy, has a diagnosis of epilepsy. And when she was, she has not been seizure-free since she was eight months old. And she's now three and a half. Um, 
However, the seizures were infrequent and they were controlled with medications. But in June this year, her seizures began to increase and ultimately control over them was completely lost. We were admitted to hospital in early July and she was having more and more seizures each day. She would have 10, then it would go up to 12, 15, 25, 30. At her worst, she was having 70 seizures in a 24-hour period. And in fact, she reached what is known as status epilepticus, which is when your brain can't recover from the seizure before another seizure comes. So you're in a constant state of seizure. And it's very dangerous. And it was heartbreaking, and it was exhausting, and it was frightening. They gave her more and more medicine, which sedated her more and more. And it didn't stop the seizures. And it felt like all that was happening was she was just getting further and further away from us into a, a haze of drugs, and the drugs were doing nothing. And I remember Andy, who's the leader of Christchurch Sutton, coming to visit, and I was just at my wit's end. I didn't know what to do, and there seemed to be no hope and no way out. And I knew that God was with me, but I could not see him. And I've got a little photo of when we came in. Oh, we don't have to show. Oh, it's there. Oh, there we go. Oh, dear. Uh, move on to the next. Let's go back to the back field slide. Can't look at that for too long. <laughs> um, and of course, we prayed and we asked everyone to pray. And honestly, things went from bad to worse. The seizures didn't stop, so they increased the drugs. And eventually, they got to the point where she couldn't breathe for herself, so they ventilated her. Still, the seizures continued. <clears throat> and so they sat us down and they told us that they wanted to give her ketamine, which is basically an industrial sedative. Um, they also told us in that meeting that there was a high chance that she would have brain damage, um, but that there was no other way forward, and that if this didn't work, the next drug they were going to use had very severe and life-altering side effects. Um, and I, I was completely distraught and, and unable to do anything. I was arrested by fear, and I felt like my faith was failing. I didn't think I had what it took for this, and I was a wreck. I was a complete wreck. And uh, my husband, we went home. My husband called my best friend who lives around the corner, and she came around immediately. And um, it also just happened that Andy was there because Layla had been at a play date at the house. So Andy was there as well. And suddenly the room felt like it was full of people of faith just when my faith was failing. And I remember Catherine said to me, amongst other things, she said, you have to face what fears you the most. Um, and I remember immediately thinking, I, I have to do this. And I think this moment has and will continue to be a defining moment of my life, uh, the day I released her to God. And it wasn't for the first time. We had endured five miscarriages before Tammy, it was a really dark time. And after the fifth, we'd drawn a line and we'd said, okay, no more. And then shortly after that, I found out I was pregnant and I was proper upset. <laughs> um, and it's a, it's a long story short, there were familiar signs and I was, I was just, I was at my wits end. And I remember I was in a little car park and I just said, Lord, I'm, I've had enough. I can't do this again. I said, this was not my idea. We were done. And here we are. This is your fault. So this is your pregnancy. You take it. You take everything. And whatever happens, it's on you. I'm stepping aside. I'm out. I'm just here as the, the physical thing, but I'm out. <laughs> um, 
And I released her. I released the pregnancy. I cut to three to four years later. And there I was. It was a Friday morning. And we were in pediatric intensive care at St. George's. And I was staring at my child, my miracle child, who had tubes coming out of her left, right, and center, breathing for her, feeding for her, weeing for her, and only the beeps of the machine telling me she was alive. And I did the same thing again. I released her. I said, Lord, I'm done. I'm at the end of myself. She's yours. And I release her to you. I trust you with her life. And I trust you with my life. Whatever happens, I trust you to look after me and my family. Brain damage, seizures, paralysis, even if you need to take her back. I release her. And I trust you to take care of us. And it was very raw and very teary and very snotty. But I can't tell you the peace that I've had from that moment. It's honestly been indescribable. And from that moment, something shifted in my faith too. From this hopeless situation, I suddenly had hope. I had an assurance that God was going to make a way out. And here's a photo of her that I was led to take. I didn't want to take this photo. But the Lord told me I would need this photo. And he showed me this. He showed me here telling my testimony. And he said, you'll need this photo. I realized victory is guaranteed. Even in death, we have the victory. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And here's where, for me, the faith journey really started. Because I wasn't an emotional wreck anymore. I had this peace. I wasn't desperate to know what the doctor's plans were because I knew God had a plan. And even the doctors and nurses, they would come up to me. That I don't think they realized. They obviously hadn't realized what had happened. They'd seen me as a complete wreck. And now they see me quite normal. And they had to keep asking me, do you understand what we're telling you? I said, yes, I understand. I understand. But you have a plan. That's fine. God has a plan. And so every day I would come in. And here's the thing. From that moment... I was available. I was available. I wasn't distracted by emotions and distracted by what I saw in front of me. I was now available to God, and it's a very powerful place to be. And I would come in and I'd say, Lord, what are we doing today? And he would lead me, pray over her, worship over her, take charge of the atmosphere, pray for that baby that just came in, go and pray for that mother, go to the parent room, go and make a coffee, make sure you go outside, go and ask the doctor this, Find out about the results from the blood test. Find out when we're doing this. And it was literally, it was like that, just a constant. And I, I remember that verse in Isaiah chapter 30, which says, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And I was suddenly operating on just a different plane where every step was spirit-led. And I believe this is what Jesus wants for us when he says, I am the way. He is the way to relationship. And you're wondering how this story ends, and it doesn't. It's not over. God is still working. But after many weeks in ICU, they discovered some abnormalities in Tammy's brain, and they wanted to take her to Great Ormond Street to do an operation to separate the left side of her brain from the right. And that would have disabled her on her left side. 
and it would have meant months of physio. They said she, she, she probably will walk, she could run. And um, this is when it pays to marry someone who knows the Lord. When you're going through a trial, I remember Shaninga said to me, she's going to walk out of here. We need to have faith that she is going to walk out of here. And I've got a, a video. I don't know if it's ready to show. And then maybe I could invite the worship team up as we show the video. Thank you. Well done, Tommy. This was after nine weeks. She was in an induced coma for two whole weeks. Well done. <laughs> she, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she walked out of that. She walked out of that hospital. Would you guys mind just playing something? That would be wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, I've told this testimony today. Um, we're not special people. We're not. We are just people who decided that Jesus was the only way. And we took him at his word. And I know that what he's done for us, he can do for you. Whatever it is you need from him, he is strong enough. He is powerful enough. And he loves you enough to do it. And I was thinking about the, um, you know, when Jesus said, if you say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And, you know, we kind of think about, it doesn't make sense that a mountain should be moved. But sometimes we try and sort of say, well, you know, okay, yeah, if it's a big mountain and it worked for those people, that's a miracle. But I've got this thing that actually seems much smaller. And so I don't think that can move. And I don't know if that resonates with you, but I'm, I know I've been there. I've been there, oh, well, yeah, something really big can move, but something really little can move. Neither of them can move. A molehill can't be moved. A mountain can't be moved. But God said, I will move the mountain, and he'll move the molehill. Whatever it is that's in your way, big or small, it's, it's not about how the size of the mountain. It's about the power of the one who can move the mountain. And so he is here today, and he is a miracle-working God. And whatever it is you need from him today, he is willing and able to provide it. And so what I'd like to do, if you guys could stand to your feet, and I just want us to invite Holy Spirit to come and move and to come and have his way. And just very simply, if you just where you are, just pray, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? I'm available. Don't worry about what you're doing next after service. Don't worry about what's happening, what happened yesterday, it's happened, what's happening five, ten minutes from now. Don't worry about that. Just focus in on this moment, this moment with you and God and ask him, Lord, what do you want from me in this moment right now? And he may give you a word and you might want to write that down. He may want you to pray for someone. Go and pray for someone. He may want you to go and, and share a word. He might give you a word for someone. Go and share it with them. Whatever it is he leads you to do, you just do it. Let's just welcome him and obey him in this moment.